All right, good morning. We, um, we had uh, yesterday, everyone I'm sure is aware, it was a day of remembrance, a day of remembering and 20 years ago and 9-11. And, you know, one of the things that everyone keeps putting up on the, the news clips and, and writing about is that we will never forget. We will never forget. And as I continue to hear that and thinking back even 20 years ago when 9-11 took place, there was a real stirring that went on in our nation. Uh, as a matter of fact, they say that the churches uh, had more people coming to them than probably any time in a long time. There was more people that were stirred because of this terrorist attack upon our nation. They say that the face uh, and the attitudes of New Yorkers changed. And there was this significant change that happened in our nation as a result of that. Many Christians were thinking, could this be a lasting change? Could this be something that might go on and we might see something of a change happen in our nation? But I have to say that I think that we have forgotten. And it didn't take long, actually. It didn't even take 20 years for us to forget. People began to forget very soon. But if you could, before we get into this morning's message, uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 46. I want to read this to you. There's a lot of fears. There's a lot of uncertainties anxieties, we might say, in our world today. Uh, I think all of us, to some degree, are probably experiencing that as we look at our world. There is a lot going on in our world. But I think that this psalm is of great encouragement to us uh, this morning. Psalm 46, mine titles it, God the Refuge of His People and the Conqueror of the nations. I love that. Look what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a present, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Is that enough for you? He says, therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. You see, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall, be, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. I want you to underline that if you're writing with something. Underline that. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. 
He makes wars cease to end to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Another one to underline. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I know that with all of the uncertainties of everything going on around us, that it's even more important that you and I would draw near to God, that we would get into His Word, that we would open up the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak into your hearts. Let it remove the fears. Let it remove the anxieties. Our God is with us. And I hope that that's where you believe. That's where I hope that your heart is at this morning. God is with us in all of this. And so, amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Source of Our Temptations. Last week... We, uh, I've been sharing actually over two weeks about our trials, the various trials that we experience as Christians. And last Sunday as I left the church and was going to grab something to eat out, I realized when I got there, where's my wallet? You know, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. Where's my wallet? And I don't know how you guys are, but I'm, I, when it comes to losing my wallet or keys, I mean, that really just throws me. Ask Kathy. I just, losing that wallet, losing the keys, I watched that thing very quickly. And so, where is it? Where'd my wallet go? And the first thing that came to my mind was count it all joy. I can't get up here and teach and then come and go out and fall into a trial or fall into something like that and and then just come unglued over it. Count it all joy. And I I actually, in my own side, I I, I said, Lord, I'm going to praise you in the midst of this. I was driving from going to my house to see if I left it there, driving back to the church, see if I left it, and it wasn't here. I've lost it. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call from my grandson. Grandpa, I've had it all along. What? <laughs> I had it all along. Actually, it fell out of my pants in the, in the seat of the car. And I was able to say that, you know what? I got a victory in it. So let me ask you, after two weeks of talking about trials and tribulations of life and counting it all joy when you fall into them, have you been able to do that? over the last couple weeks? Have you considered what we are learning from the book of James? You see, I've shared and I've given the the theme to this book of James, moving on to maturity. But it's also been a book that has been referred to as 
practical Christian living. And you see, when you open up the book of James, it's full of exhortations to us as Christians. How to live and how we should be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. You see, we don't want to come to this place and hear these messages out of the book of James and then just leave this place and go, hey, that was a great study. But when the practical things of life come our way, what are we going to do with it? In verse 2 of chapter 1, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Move on to maturity, Christians. We need to grow up. We need to take these things on board. We need to ask God for wisdom and understanding concerning trials and tribulations of life. The work that God is doing in your life through them all is a good work. Today we're going to look at a different type of temptation. You see, from verses 1-12, to it's the temptations that come from outside, from without. And those are the ones that we're called to count it all joy. They come from nowhere and all of a sudden we have this trial or tribulation that comes our way or in life. And they come often. But today we're going to talk about the temptations that come from within. And again, practical Christian living. Something that we need to grab hold of. These temptations that come from without, the ones that we experience daily, quite often, they can also bring about temptations from within because we don't handle them in a good way. So we have temptations that come out of nowhere and they come towards us, and we're called to count it all joy, but often we don't. And then we find this inner struggle, this temptation to either get frustrated, angry, doubt God, whatever it might throw our way, we have these inner temptations that we deal with. Has that ever happened to you? I think so. We finished last week on the subject of temptations from without with a promise. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, or we could say various trials. For when he has been approved or tried, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I like promises. Has anyone ever promised you something and then not come through? I think it happens to us all the time. People make a promise that never happens. But one thing you can be assured of is that when God promises you something, you can bank on it. It's a done deal. James says, blessed, happy is the man who endures temptations. 
the one who is able to stand his ground in the face of temptations. You see, that's what we want to grow to, to be able to stand our ground under trials and the testings of life. Blessed is the one who bears up patiently with growing endurance under adverse circumstances of life. Blessed and happy is that person when we become overcomers, when we see ourselves as more than conquerors through Him who loves us. I think they should make a movie called Overcomer. Wouldn't that be a great title? Overcomer? By the way, they have. Our ladies watched a movie here Friday night called Overcomer. It was great. I got to do security that night. I saw a little of it overcomer. You're all overcomers in Christ. Amen? What God promises to us is that you're going to receive the crown of life. The Stephanos. Stephanos, that type of crown means, by definition, that which surrounds or encompasses It's like a victor's crown that is given to somebody who is being honored in their victory. The Lord has promised that to you, to those who love Him. And you can count on it. It's going to be given to you, whatever that looks like, it's going to be given to you in that day. I don't think that I need to tell anyone here today that we're engaged in daily warfare. That there's many battles that we will face in a lifetime. A lot of them. Some of those battles are going to end in defeat for us. And some of them are going to end with a victory. But this is what we know. The final victory is ours. We have the final victory. We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to receive the crown of life, as James puts it. We're going to also receive the crown of righteousness, as Paul put it, in 2 Timothy 4.8. We're going to receive the crown of glory, as Peter put it, in 1 Peter 5.8. James, in verse 12, wants us to know that we have as Christians every reason to endure with patience the various trials of life and then to do it with joy. That's the difference. Count it all joy. We, we, we quite often want to endure through it and go through it, but to do it with joy, to do it with confidence in your heart that, that God is with you, that God's hand is upon you, And I can rejoice in Him. I can have a thankful heart in the midst of my testings of life. As we move into our text this morning, we need to understand that the word temptation that we find in verse 12, that's speaking of these various trials and temptations that we experience, The word that we see in uh, verse 13 and 14, the word tempted, 
has a different meaning. Today we're going to move from temptations without to the temptations we face within. The first thing that we need to know about temptations within is the source. What is the source of the temptations that we face within? Let's read uh, verses 13 and 14. James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does, he tempt, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. A more literal way that we might say this, let not a single man being tempted say that I am tempted of God. Don't let it be said that I am being tempted by God when temptation comes my way. Then James says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Now this word tempted that we see here numerous times in these two verses, all all of the words tempted are the same Greek word except the word tempted where it says, for God cannot be tempted. That word means that our Lord is untemptable in His very nature. He's untemptable from evil. We know that, and this has actually caused some confusion to Christians. We know that our Lord, after He was baptized, He was led by the Holy Spirit to go out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit, we're told in Matthew 4, verse 1, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, in other words, he was hungry. After he was hungry, it says, it was then that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, good words to underline. It is written. Do you know your Bible well enough that when the enemy comes your way, when he brings a lie to you, when a temptation comes your way, no, it is written. No, the Word of God says this. And what do we run to in time of temptation? Do we run to the Word of God? Do we run to the Lord in prayer? Do we, you know, what, do, what is our mode of action when it comes to the temptations that come from within? Jesus said to the devil, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up to the holy city 
And he set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Actually, Satan misquoted that from Psalm 91.11. But Jesus says to him again, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. Again a third time, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil, we're told, left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to Jesus. Wow. The Lord subjected Himself. The Father subjected the Son. The Son went out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And He walked out of that wilderness victoriously. Though He was untemptable, He could not take on evil. It was against the very nature of God Himself. God cannot be tempted by evil. It means untemptable, that Greek word. God's not liable to temptation to sin. God cannot be tempted by evil. God has never experienced evil. It's, it's, it's totally contrary to His character and nature. He's holy. He's without sin. And this character and this nature of God is what keeps him from evil. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, verse 3, we read that an angel began to cry out to another angel. And this is what he cried out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see, in Jesus Christ, no sin dwells. He was tempted in all ways like you and I, yet without sin. From His birth to the cross, He never yielded. Think of that. He never yielded not once to sin and temptation. He knew no sin. He encountered sin everywhere He went. He was tempted in the wilderness, yet He did not sin. Why can't God be tempted with evil? Because God is untemptable. He's untemptable in regards to the things that are evil. And He also doesn't tempt you and I with evil. And that's what we need to know also. God will never tempt you 
with evil. God allows trials and tribulations to come our way in life, doesn't He? He puts your faith to the test. Every time you fall into a various trial, and then He does it for your maturity. He does it to grow you in your faith. He does it to grow you in your endurance as a Christian. But He will never test you to do evil. You see, when we yield to temptation, it's never God's fault. It's never His fault if you yield to sin and temptation. It's our own fault. We make the choice. And we can't blame it on God. You see, that's the first thing that quite often we want to do when we're struggling with sin in life. We want to blame it on somebody else. We don't want to take the blame for our inability to resist or to stay away from a particular sin or temptation. We often fall trapped to that thinking that God has put this into my heart. Maybe God you know, somehow is letting me go down this pathway to kind of test me. He puts me in this place of temptation to test. God never puts evil in front of you. He never puts something in front of you and says, I'm going to just see if you'll hold up to this test of evil. You see, just because God gave you an appetite for food doesn't mean that he's responsible for the sin of gluttony. He's given us lots of desires in the physical. He's, people have tried to do that even with sex, haven't they? You know, God created it, didn't He? And it's to be enjoyed. God, God created sex. So how can it be sinful? And God doesn't say that it is sinful as long as it is kept within the confines of marriage. But God doesn't put that out to test us. You see, we fail when we yield to temptation. It's not because God ordained it. It's not, you know, it, we, we can't pin it on him or anyone else. If you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have, you know, if you would have been more like that, I would never have done that. You see, we try to blame our falling to temptation quite often upon others. We've all been created with the capacity to choose to do good or to do evil. All of us have that choice every single day. And I believe that choice comes every single day. And if that weren't so, if it wasn't our sole responsibility to choose between evil and good, then there would be no responsibility on my part to be holy. There would be no satisfaction for me in turning from sin and temptation 
and making the right choice. I'm choosing because I don't want to dishonor my Lord. Yes, sin is pleasurable for a season. And there's lots of things that could fall under that. But I don't want to dishonor my God. I'm choosing not to do that because I know it violates my moral convictions. It it violates the Word of God. The things that He's told me to stay away from. Some have even deceived themselves into thinking that their temptations and their yielding to sin, that it actually makes God look better. Hopefully none of us think that way, but there are some that do. You see, even in my sin and the sin that God allows me and to come into my life as if God is... You know, it actually makes God... It actually magnifies the holiness of God through my sinfulness. What a distorted view. He actually extends more mercy and grace to me. And His grace is even magnified. His mercy is magnified. In my sin. The more sinful I am, the more the holy nature of God is magnified in it. What a distorted view. Paul says in Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? Asking a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The obvious answer to that, and Paul says it, is certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? James is saying, don't let anyone say when they are tempted that they're being tempted by God. So where does the issue of temptation start? Where, where does it begin? What is the source of our temptations that come from within? We read in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now keep in mind that temptation in itself is not the sin. It's when we're drawn away. It's when it becomes, uh, when we're feeding off our own desires. It's when we're enticed that it becomes sin. You know, like a fisherman that ties that lure onto the line. And he puts it out into the water to do what? To lure in the fish. To entice the fish to come. I have a picture of one occasion. Isn't that beautiful? That fish, that's a my my, by the way, 
caught it on our deep sea trip a couple weeks back. That fish was lured in. It was enticed to the bait. And that fish, all the, all the while, as it's looking at that lure, didn't even know that this enticement and then him grabbing hold of that bait was going to end in death. By the way, it's in my freezer. When we are drawn away by our own desires, by our lust, and then are enticed, we're allured in by the bait, so to speak. Happens day in and day out for us as Christians. A lot of lures out there, a lot of bait that is out there that wants to catch us. I think each one of the guys that went on that fishing trip, 18 of them, they should all have a good idea of what this is talking about here, about being lured in by the bait. When you're drawn away by your own desires, just like the fish, you have no clue that there's pain destruction that's going to come about as the result of your choice in yielding to the temptation. We often don't think that far ahead, do we? We just simply are going with that inner desire that I have. And then we yield to the temptation and then everything else after that we see the result of our choices. Look what it goes on to say in verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, often the desire, the lust in our hearts and minds it starts long before we ever yield to the temptation. That's the problem. You see, the things that are done in our inner self within, the things that nobody sees, are quite often the starting point of that desire that when that tempter comes along and that temptation comes your way and you yield to it, it had already started maybe a long time ago, maybe months ago. It started before. And then when the temptation came, when the tempter came, it was like you were prime bait. You were ready to yield. In the moment. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, remember I've likened, or this book of James has been likened to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5.21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother 
without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, it's already been brewing. It was brewing in the heart. The desires were forming. The temptation comes. The lustful lustful desires, they're already there in the heart. And then we yield. We give in to the lust of our heart. You see, that's the problem. The problem has to do within. The exterior things that come our way, they just are aiding what has probably already begun in our hearts. What's started in our minds moves into our heart. What's in our heart comes out. We yield to those things because they're really desires that have already been conceived inside of our heart. We often deceive ourselves into thinking that it's only the sin that we act upon that's the sin. Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. I, I, I didn't go there. And Jesus says you've already committed it in your heart. And we need to be aware of that. That we don't somehow think that if it's not something that is physically seen, that I'm all right. That God doesn't see it. Let me be assured, or let you and me be assured of this that when we sit there and we look at our phones and we look at things on the internet and things like that, and things pop up, be assured that God is right there with you. He's right there with me. Be assured that there is nothing that is done in your mind that you think that God doesn't hear or God doesn't see. God sees it all. The Bible says that we stand naked before God with whom we have to do. There's nothing that's hidden before God. You see, God is always most concerned with your heart. He's most concerned with what's going on in your mind. Because He knows that it's your heart that will affect your actions. He tells us, James, He says, when desire has conceived. He's speaking in terms like conception. You see, conception happens between two people. But sin also is conceived between two things. It's your heart and your mind. Sin is conceived in your heart and in your mind. It starts there. It's there that that conception takes place. Sin is birthed. And then sin grows up. And it gets more and more entangled in its grip 
And the ultimate end of it is that it brings death. What kind of death are we talking about? Are we talking about spiritual separation? Because that's what the word speaks of, separation. But you see, even as a Christian, even though you may not experience physical separation for God for eternity, there is spiritual separation that we will experience as a result of sin. It'll lead to spiritual death. It starts in our hearts. It starts with the desire, a lust for sin. It's longing for something. And and what's interesting is the the desire that we're talking about here and the longing for something, that word desire is actually translated 31 times in the King James Version, lust. That's what the word actually is translated, lust. And it's a longing for something, especially for the things that are forbidden. Things that are already lusting in our heart. And then comes the temptation. Then the tempter comes your way. He has what he wants in you. You've already been toying with this for a long time. And now you're just bait. And if we continue in it, it'll give birth to sin. And then that sin continues to grow and then it'll bring forth death. I don't know if you've ever been in that place as a believer where you got caught up into your sin. You allowed sin to reign in your heart and in your mind. And you were feeling more and more distant from God. You felt that relationship was not the same. You started hiding from God. You stopped wanting to come to church anymore. Stop wanting to open your Bible or to open up in prayer. Those things, they're difficult when you're walking in that place of sin and compromise. We should be asking God like the psalmist did. In Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we would just make that part of our regular prayer life, Search me, O God. Try me. God, You know my heart better than I know my own. You know it. You made me. And if we got that real with God on a regular basis, I'll tell you, God will have His way. You see, we need to deal with the desire, the lust. The lust in our hearts before we're really going to experience the victory. 
We need to stop toying around with lustful things in our heart, in our minds. And if we don't, in essence, we're really just setting ourselves up for the fall. They will come in time. They'll probably catch you off guard. It'll get you in a moment when you're not really expecting it. And there it is. And then we're in this place of choice. Am I going to turn this way or that way? There's three enemies that we face as Christians. One of them is this world. We also have the flesh, this. We have our flesh. And then there's the devil. All of them have their temptations. But you see, if we don't know our enemies, then how can we prepare ourselves for the battle? The world is a source of temptation for you and I. We read in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. To actually love the things of this world. And quite often those things are contrary to who God is. And what He desires for us. But we have this love for the things of the world. The things that our Lord would never sit down with you with and entertain you with or be with you in, we quite often get engulfed in the things of the world. Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We just had that study a few weeks back. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How do we get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Spend time in the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to work it in you and change your thought process. Work something in you. Spend time. Let God's Word cleanse your your mind and your heart. Spend time with Him. the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Anyone that's doing that, anyone that lays down their life as a living sacrifice, anyone that is seeking God and spending time in His Word, you will more and more know what is the perfect will of God. It won't be a quay. You won't be sitting here going, I wonder if God really wants me to do this. I wonder if this is really... No, it won't be the question. In Colossians 3.1 we read, Paul says, if you were raised with Christ, then seek those things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek those things which are above, Christians. How do we do that? Seek after the things that are lasting. Seek after the things that are the most important things in life. The things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right. And set your mind on things above also, not on the things of the earth. 
We're either heavenly-minded or we're earthly-minded. Our flesh is this, also this source of temptation. We all have it. The flesh. The tangible flesh that wants to do what it wants to do. It wants to please itself. In 1 John 2.16, we read, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Flesh. The Greek word sarx. It's also translated in some of your Bibles carnal or fleshly. But by definition, flesh is that substance of your human body that we all have. And the battle begins in our hearts and it begins in our minds, doesn't it? Matthew 15, 18 says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Out of the heart. So what are the works of the flesh? And how can we have victory over this flesh? Paul said in Galatians 5.19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I get out of breath just reading it. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh. How do we have victory over the works of the flesh? Well, we know that we have victory in Christ. We know that He's given us the victory at the cross over sin and and death. But there's practical things that we must do as a Christian to see victory shouts in our life. Paul went on in chapter 5, verse 16, and he said, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. What Spirit are we talking about? Our flesh, it lusts against the Spirit. Notice it's capitalized, God's Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. In other words, you've got a battle that's going on inside of you every single day. God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and you have flesh that wants to at times clash 
Your flesh wants to do what it wants to do. God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is compelling you to go a different direction. Compelling you to do something different. The flesh, it lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. That flesh is strong. And don't ever think. Never think more highly of yourself than you ought to lest you fall. Never think that you're in a place, oh, I'm strong, no way am I giving into that. As soon as we start doing that, we set ourselves up to fall. How do we win this battle over the various temptations that we face within? We need to walk in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? We need to stay close to Jesus Christ. We need to abide in Him. Stay tight, stay close with Jesus Christ. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to overflowing. And and is that part of your prayer every day? God, would You fill me with Your Holy Spirit? Would You empower me today to go out into this world to say no to sin, to live my life for You? We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We need to stay close to Jesus. Abide in Him. We need to read our Bibles daily. We need to pray much. We need to stay in fellowship with other Christians. We need to put off the old man and put on the new. We need to die to flesh daily. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We need to put on our spiritual armor and we need to keep it on daily in prayer. Put on the armor of God and keep it on and do it in prayer. Paul in Ephesians 5.18, he says this to us, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. When Paul makes this statement here, he's not telling us that this is an option, Christians. He's saying that this is a command. This is one of those commands in Scripture. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be, allow yourself to be controlled with other things other than the Holy Spirit. It's not just anything that would take control of us, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be full of God's Holy Spirit. Be overflowing with God's Holy Spirit. And I can tell you that if we seek that every single day of our life, to be full of His Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being led of His Holy Spirit, there's going to be a lot less occasion for stumbling speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Is that how your day looks? Do you get up out of bed every day and then this is kind of just going on? You got this worship song going on in your heart. You're thinking, you're you're praising God. You're worshiping the Lord. And you say, Lord, fill me. I had my devotion time with you this morning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that as soon as I 
put my foot on the floor out of bed. I know the tempter's right there. I know that when I leave this house, I leave this church today, I'm going to go out into this world. The temptations are going to be there. And Lord, I don't want to fall. You see, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He doesn't tell us to walk this walk and then not give us the resources to be able to live it. And we can't blame it on Him and we can't blame it on anyone else if we fail, if we fall, because God has given us everything we need. The devil is also a source of temptation. We need to know this about the devil and all of his all these adversaries. Peter says in 1 Peter 5:8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then he says in verse 9, resist him. Do you understand that there's a real enemy out there that wants to destroy your life. And we quite often go out and get out into this world with no acknowledging that. We think we're we're all right. Everything's good. We have to realize that we have a real enemy that wants to trip you up, stumble you, bring a temptation your way, cause you to go that, you know, And look at the lives that are messed up and destroyed through one failure. That old saying, the devil made me do it. Don't use that one. You know, the devil made me do it. Or the woman that you gave me. Man, don't use that one for sure. The woman that you gave me, don't ever use that one. Adam tried it. It's the woman that you gave me, Lord. You see, it's not wise to try and pass the buck. We just need to own it. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word wiles is trickery. Against the trickeries of the devil. When's the last time he tricked you? Brought something your way that you thought was alright and it wasn't. He's very tricky in his way of stumbling. He knows, here's something that you should know, is that Satan can't read your mind. I hope you all know that. He can't read your mind. He doesn't know what you're thinking, but he can hear you if you speak. He can see you when you are in your sin. He knows our points of where we're weak. And do you think that he would want to go after anything else other than your points of weakness? Oh, yeah, I love getting you on this one. You know, that anger, I love getting you in that place. I'll do it again and again. And we can have victory in those areas. 
if we do it God's way. We finish today in verse 16 with James saying, do not be deceived or do not err. And then he says, my beloved brethren. Remember I said how many times he uses that term, beloved brethren or brethren? My dearly loved brethren. Don't be deceived. Don't err on these points. This word error could also be translated, do not roam about. Do not stray from the subject or the right course. Don't get off track. Don't, don't get off course. You see, James knows that the subjects of trials and temptations in these 15 verses They're hard subjects. Count it all joy. Temptations from without and then temptations from within. He knows that they're hard subjects. And he wants to give us a caution. Don't be deceived. Don't err on the subject. And then he gives some words of comfort and encouragement. You're my beloved brother. I like that. You're beloved. I don't want to see you fall into the air. Next week, we're going to finish this chapter by the will of God. And James is going to give us the source of our victory over the temptations. We're going to continue this thought to the end of the chapter. We all want to know what's the source of victory. And then I want to ask you if you have last week's Bible memory verse memorized. Does anyone even know what the verse is? I'll give it. Who? Who's saying that? 1 Corinthians 10.13? All right. I like that. Stand up. <laughs> no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation is able to make a way of escape that you're able to endure it. A great one to have memorized. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. You see, God allows us to go into a world that is full of temptation He allows these things. He never tempts us. God never tempts us with evil. But He allows us to encounter temptation. But with that temptation, God is able to make a way of escape. 
Have you ever had an area of your life where you struggled in it? An area that just keeps coming your way in the area of temptation? And you just cry out to God, God, would you give me the way of escape? Would you show me how I can have a victory shout in this? Would you take me down the path that I could actually say, thank you, Lord. You showed me, you've given me that way of escape. And I can testify in my own life that there are certain things that I struggled with for a long time that God did in time give me the way of escape. And I believe He's done that in your life also. But make that your prayer. God, would you give me the way of escape? Would you show me what I'm not doing that I should be doing? And maybe that's all it is. God, would you take me and show me the things that I need to do that I would have a victory shout? Would you give me the way of escape so I'm able to endure it, to bear it? I believe that God is always there at our side with us, wanting to, to nurture us along, wanting to instruct us, and at times giving us those spiritual spankings. He, he deals with us as his children that he loves. He forgives, he extends his mercy, his grace is upon us each and every day. And how much more could we ask for? He's given us all that we need to do it, to live it, If you're here today and you're in need of prayer, we're going to have some people up front here that can pray with you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you're struggling with. You need prayer over it. Confessing your faults one to another that you may be healed. Not a bad practice to come and come before a brother or sister and say, you know what, this is an area of my life that I'm struggling. Could you pray with me? Do you know what that takes? Breaking down our pride. Our pride will keep us from doing, oh, I don't, this is between me and God. But sometimes God says, no, I want you to confess it to somebody. I want you to admit to another brother or sister that this is my struggle right now. Would you come? Would you pray for me? And I believe that we should be obedient when God tells us to do that. And so if you're in need of prayer, you can come up while the worship songs or after, whatever, doesn't matter. There will be somebody up here to, to pray with you. Let's uh, have the worship team.